Colossians chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 24 through 29. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father, your word is sharp. And we are dependent upon your hand and the power of your right arm to move within us, to change our thinking, and to live in accordance with our testimony of faith. We worship you, we rejoice in you, for you are truly a gracious God to have blessed us with all the blessings of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. What kind of pastor do we ideally want here at SGRC? A man who is biblically orthodox? Yes. A man who cares for us? Yes. But is that all we hope for in a minister? Our passage today shows us that while these things are of great importance, there are other traits that we should also look for in a minister. You'll remember that the Christians at Colossae were blessed to have Mr. Epaphras as their pastor And they also had the Apostle Paul ministering to them. And both of these men poured their lives out for the Christians at Colossae. But there were also people in that local church who were promoting false Jesus Plus programs that promised greater and fuller spirituality than what could be found in Christ alone. I've known people like this. They can often be winsome, 
And more than not, they appear to be very spiritual. In fact, they can make church members, especially new converts, feel like they are missing out on the meat and potatoes as to what it means to be a Christian. The question in the first century was, who were the Colossians going to listen to? The Apostle Paul and Pastor Epaphras or these illegitimate teachers. In the verses leading up to our passage today, I think you'll agree with me. Paul had powerfully taught the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things. But now he begins to focus on what it means to be a true minister of God so that Christians would know with full discernment to whom they should listen. In verses 24 to 29, Paul teaches about what it means to be a true minister of Christ. And studying this passage leads me to ask three questions that I believe can be used as a litmus test for evaluating ministers. Today I am only going to be concentrating on the first question and it only comes out of verse 24 and it is this. Is the minister willing to suffer the affliction of Christ for the sake of the church? Paul states in verses 23 and 25 respectively that he is a minister of the gospel he is a minister of the church. The Greek word used for minister is diakonos, which means servant. And God's word teaches that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, don't you think that they are going to persecute you? And in verse 24, there are three aspects of Paul's suffering that I want us to look at. And together, they highlight the importance of this question. Is the minister willing to suffer the affliction of Christ for the sake of the flock? The three aspects of Paul's suffering that help us here are what he suffered, how he suffered, and why he suffered. I want to read again verse 24 so that you have it in your minds. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. What did Paul suffer? He suffered bodily. He suffered in his flesh. Much of what Paul suffered was intense pain in his body. Bodily suffering 
doesn't represent all of the suffering that every true minister should be willing to endure in his gospel service. There's also emotional suffering, and there's mental suffering. And these kinds of sufferings are included when Paul speaks of suffering in his flesh. It's all-inclusive. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul describes his suffering as a gospel minister. There he says he was beaten five different times with 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. His back was a mass of scars. Once he was stoned, three times he suffered shipwreck. He was in danger from rivers and robbers. He was in danger, he says, from all kinds of things in this list, including false brothers, people who said they loved Jesus, but they really hated him. Paul goes on and on and on. And this, is obvi- this obviously does not mean that gospel ministers are the only ones who are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. We have received recent reports, haven't we, that the Taliban is going door-to-door in Afghanistan looking for Christians to persecute. These Christians and countless others in the world Countless others are suffering the affliction of Christ. But normally, ministers and missionaries have a bigger target on their back because of the principle, if the shepherd is struck, the sheep will be scattered. And in so many words, Paul is saying to the Christians at Colossae, have these guys who have come into your church teaching you a Jesus plus doctrine for spiritual growth demonstrated at all a willingness to suffer the affliction of Christ like Epaphras and I have? Or do you think that what they mostly want is for you to follow their innovative and newfound secret for spirituality in order to feed their own pride and to give them assurance that they themselves are right. Paul says one other thing about himself in 2 Corinthians 11 that I think is very important. He says, besides everything else that I've already told you about my suffering, I have also experienced daily, daily, daily anxiety for the church. Did you know that Pastor Epaphras, brothers and sisters, experienced this exact same anxiety for his little flock in his little town? Pastor Epaphras traveled 1,000 miles to Rome to get help from imprisoned Paul because of the trouble that these false teachers were causing. 
Traveling 1,000 miles in that day was dangerous because of robbers. We already heard Paul testify to that. And the travel was very arduous. I don't think the Ford assembly line had been made back then. But Epaphras did it for his dear flock. He did it because of the anxiety that he was suffering for them. And Paul, in so many words in our passages, saying to Pastor Epaphras' flock, who are you going to listen to? Your pastor or these would-be teachers? Well, this all answers the question for us, doesn't it? A true minister should be willing to suffer even in his flesh the affliction of Christ for the sake of the flock. But so that we are not tripped up over it, let me comment on what Paul means when he says that in his fleshly sufferings, he was filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. On the surface, it sounds like there is something lacking in Christ's saving work. On the surface, it sounds like there's something lacking in Christ's redemptive sufferings. And that's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church has essentially concluded. They have concluded that what Christ did for us in his personal redemptive sufferings is lacking, and so Jesus needs the merits of outstanding saints to help fill out what he failed to accomplish. That's why the Roman Catholic Church developed what they call the treasury of merits. They say it's a treasury filled with saving merits from saints like Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, and the apostles. Who's it for? It's for common sinners like you and me to draw out of so that we might be right with God. Rome reasoned that these outstanding saints did even more than what God had required them to do, and so Rome, the Rome... Roman powers concocted a treasury of merits to be used for the benefits of others. Now I ask you, why is this such a bunch of hogwash? This is a bunch of hogwash because Scripture interprets Scripture. The whole context of the Bible from beginning to end is, and the covenant of grace from beginning to end, is the total sufficiency of Christ to save a people for God. And the whole immediate context of Colossians is that Jesus is preeminent and sufficient. He's sufficient for the conversion of sinners. He's sufficient for their growing in maturity. He's sufficient even for their being perfected in holiness one day in heaven. There's nothing lacking in Christ's redemptive sufferings. The Roman Catholic Church has really shown its true colors here in what they think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The treasury of merits is nothing but another Jesus Plus program. This treasury has nothing in it 
but fool's gold. Jesus is totally sufficient to save even the worst of sinners. There is no other name under heaven, the Bible says. Not the name of Mary, not the Mary of Paul, not the, Mary, name, not the name of Paul, not the name of Peter, not the name of Kent, not the name of R.C., not the name of anybody under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus, God's son, is enough. Salvation required that God's son be incarnated, that he come from heaven to earth and be incarnated. That's Jesus. God's salvation required a perfect, absolutely perfect, sinless Savior. That's Jesus. It required a substitutionary and sacrificial atoning death for the sins of sinners on a cross. That's Jesus. It required a bodily resurrection from the dead to life evermore. That's Jesus. If you don't think Jesus is enough to save you, then you don't think enough of Jesus. I believe, along with the majority of good biblical commentators, that the afflictions of Christ that Paul was filling up are the afflictions that he and all Christians of all times are ordained to endure. They don't have anything to do with the redemptive sufferings that Christ personally suffered to save you and me. Those personal sufferings of Christ are over. He has not suffered since, personally. Rather, they have to do with what we can call Christ's sympathetic sufferings. For example, when a Christian suffers today in Afghanistan, Christ suffers with that dear lady because through faith in Jesus, she is in organic union with Christ. We are the body of Christ, of which he is the head. That's why when Jesus met Paul on the Damascus Road, he asked Paul, whose name was Saul back then, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Well, who was Paul persecuting personally at the time? It couldn't have been Jesus. He had already risen from the dead and had been seated in heaven for some time. He was persecuting Christians. When Christians are afflicted and persecuted, Jesus is sympathetically afflicted with them. That's what it means to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. It is still lacking because God's children are ordained today around the world to be persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ and tomorrow and the next day and so on. Christian persecution 
seems to be at a fever pitch today in places like North Korea and China and parts of Africa where men and women and even boys and girls are are saying, no, I believe in Jesus. That's what I believe in. That's my heart. I don't get paid for this. That's me. That's who I am. I believe in Jesus. And it's happening in Afghanistan, but it's also ramping up in Canada and in the United States. We need a minister who, like Paul and Epaphras, is willing to suffer the affliction of Christ for our sake. Having said all that about the what of Paul's suffering, these last two aspects of his suffering should fall like dominoes. Well, maybe not that quick, but pretty quick. So having considered what Paul suffered, that is, he suffered in his flesh, let's now turn our attention to how Paul suffered. Verse 24, he rejoiced in his sufferings. He wasn't rejoicing that he was being shackled. He wasn't rejoicing that he was being whipped. He wasn't rejoicing because he was being beaten Who in their right mind would be happy about that? Paul, rather, was rejoicing in the midst of his sufferings because he knew that he was in partnership with Christ and his sufferings. Remember when the apostles were arrested for preaching Christ in the temple? They were beaten for it. It was probably the same 39 lashes that Paul had received five different times. And upon their release, they rejoiced that they were chosen to suffer dishonor for the name and honor of Christ. No Christian likes to be beaten. There isn't one that likes to be beaten. No Christian is like donkey jumping up and down saying, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. But there is a wonderful rejoicing according to God's holy word that takes place deep in the soul of a Christian when he knows that in the midst of his suffering, he's in partnership with Jesus Christ and his sufferings. We need a minister who understands this and who is willing to to suffer the afflictions of Christ. We don't need ministers like Pastor David Crank and Pastor Nicole Crank who reign over six megachurches, four in the St. Louis area and two in Florida. They have huge crowds, and they tell of the millions of dollars that they bring in. The church store has a shirt that says, crank it up. And I am afraid that many pastors in our evangelical culture today believe that all suffering is bad, and thus there could never be a true rejoicing in the midst of it. You see, popularity and success, and a primary drive for 
financial gain does not mesh at all with suffering. We need a minister who's going to preach Christ boldly and will look and is willing to suffer for it. He rejoiced in the midst of his sufferings. The third and final aspect of Paul's suffering as a minister of the gospel is the why of his suffering. We've considered the what in his flesh, the how he rejoiced in it. And now we close with the why of his suffering. Verse 24, I suffer, Paul says, for your sake. I do it for you. And then he says it again. What I do, I do for the sake of Christ's body, the church. And we can say without hesitation that the same was true for Pastor Epaphras. He was a true shepherd of God's little flock. And Paul knew it. He knew it. What Epaphras did, he did for them. When he worried, he worried over them. And what Paul is basically saying to the Christians at Colossae is, are you sure that if you follow these people in your church that they will not leave you as soon as they see the wolf coming? The Apostle Paul and gospel sold out pastors like Epaphras would not run if the wolves were coming. Rather, they would put themselves between the wolves and the sheep, even if it meant personal affliction to them. That's the why of Paul's suffering. For your sake, for your sake, for your sake. Christian affliction and persecution seems to be closer to us now in our country than it has ever been. Though we are not yet seeing Christians beaten yet or burned at the stake, there is an increasing number of people, increasing. You just look at the, the, the upper uh, uh, graduate schools and so on who are losing their livelihoods because they are taking a bold stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will not back down in an increasingly godless society. Recently, we fasted here and we prayed as a church family about all of that. <coughs> Among other things, we prayed for God's help in bringing a good pastor here to shepherd us. I look forward to that. I do. For my sake. And I don't mean it in this sense. That wasn't in my notes what I just said. And sometimes when you speak and it's not in your notes, it doesn't flow into what you're about to say. <laughs> If you Google what are the most dangerous jobs in the world, in the world, you get different lists, of course. 
But in my humble opinion, every single list fails to mention at all what I believe is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. It's to be a true minister of the gospel. Along with that very dangerous job, multitudes of their flocks have been martyred throughout church history. And, and we need to really listen. Children, we need to listen to this. What the Apostle Peter tells us in his first epistle, chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, we got to listen to this. Beloved, he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Well, why does this always come back to Jesus? always comes back to Jesus, the Lord of glory, our Savior, our King, and our God. Because in the laying down of his life for the sheep, we are eternally saved through faith alone. That's why it always comes back to Jesus. God sent his Son to save you and me. And in the laying down of his life, we are saved through faith alone. And that's more than just an intellectual faith. Even the demons believe and tremble, right? We were looking at Matthew chapter 7 and the warning that it gives there about those who would come before God in the judgment, and, and God saying, I never knew you. But there is an intellectual faith. But true, real faith is saying, I'm so sick and tired of my sin. I'm going to give it all to Jesus. And I'm going to rest, totally rest in him because this is what he does. He saves through his perfect life and through his death on the cross. And I'm going to rest in him. That is salvation. And for all those who are resting in Christ, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon us to test us as though something strange were happening. But rejoice insofar as as you share in Christ's sufferings. No one else could save us but Jesus. No one else could do the work necessary, and he did it fully. So don't you think, Christian, that growing in Christ, in that place where many of us are right now, not all of us, but, but many of us are right now the most bloody place, the place where we wish we were, we were more spiritual, wish we were more sanctified, and some of this other stuff is tempting because I want to be 
more given over to Christ too, you know. Don't you think that Jesus in the gospel is enough? He is enough. But wait a second. There's something very exciting in John chapter 10. Jesus says this in John 10. He has even more sheep, but they're not yet in the fold. They haven't trusted and rested and they're not sick of their sin. They don't recognize their sin, so they're not sick of it. Why would anybody take cancer drugs and treatment if they don't think they've got cancer? But there's more to come in. What does Jesus say about these? He says this in John chapter 10, I will bring them in also. They will listen to my voice so that there is one flock and one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. My question to you this morning is, do you hear his voice? Is he calling you into his kingdom? Is he asking you to believe that Jesus is enough and he's convicting you that you may have thought previous to this that he wasn't. He can save the worst of sinners. Jesus is enough. Do you hear his voice? If so, then come into his fold. I believe. I rest in you. I'm yours, everything I am, everything I've got, and everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Save me. You died on the cross to remove the guilt of my sin. I believe it. I'm trusting in you to save me. Are you sure you want to say that? For those of you who may, be, who may be answering Christ's call, are you sure you want to say that? If being a minister of the gospel is dangerous, the flock can also experience great affliction. But, but if you know Jesus, if you know who he is, and you know what is yours in Jesus, you will definitely turn from yourself and trust solely in him. There is no other way except through the door. He is the door. And then you say, well, what do I do then? And you'll start praying with us. Lord, please send a minister who is willing to suffer the affliction of Christ for our sake. Let's pray. Gracious Father and God, please do not let us drive down the street and past the courthouse and forget all that you have said to us this morning.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn and respond to...